Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salip Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Hi there, welcome to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. I'm really excited to introduce you to Ali Spots to Lazar. Ali is one of my favorite people on social media. And as we'll share in the beginning of this episode, that's how we connected. Um, and we've developed a really kind of nice friendship through it. But she's a, a family therapist. She's a counselor. She's, a, you know, works with eating disorders and intuitive eating. But more relevant to this conversation is she is a curator of stories and she's written a book And the book is called Meaningful, and it's a collection of stories of people who've recovered, not just women, not just people in midlife, although as we talk about, a large number of them actually are, but just a collection of stories of how people move through the process of redefining their relationship with food and their body. And we share a little bit about our our collective experience of working with women in midlife as they go through this, but also being women in midlife who are going through this. So it's a fun conversation. I always laugh when I'm talking to Ali, and I know that you will too. Okay, so welcome, Ali, to the Midlife Feast. Thank you for having me actually today with me. I know we took a while to get to actually connecting, so I'm really, really just happy to be here with you. Can I tell the story about how we first met? Of course. Okay, so this I think it was 2020. I think it was like knee deep into the pandemic. And you reached out to me and said, I've written a book, I would love for you to read it, and I'm going to send it to you. And I said, Great, just know that I'm in Europe. And it's probably going to cost you a lot of money. And you said, Oh, no, no, it'll just be fine. It'll be through Amazon. And despite the ridiculous cost to send me this book, much more than the cost of the actual book, you still sent it. And it was such a lovely gesture that I still, um, every time I look at that book, I smile because I think it was such a nice thing for someone to do. And I loved it. I loved reading the stories. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about your book shortly, but but I love that story of how we met. (laughs) Thank you so much. And then through it, we've grown such a lovely collegial relationship and, and, I love having you to lean on, especially with your expertise. So it's it's really just, I had never done, Insta- done Instagram. Oh my gosh, I think I gave away <laughs> my age right there. <laughs> but I was brand new to Instagram and I didn't know any of the rules, nothing. But it, I've really discovered that it's, it's hooked me into some really lovely souls and clinicians and practitioners. So uh, thank you. So people who listen to this episode or my podcast regularly will probably laugh when I say this, but I am saying it again, that almost all of my guests are people that I've met through Instagram, because in the last couple of years, like there have just, it has been a really nice space to connect with people. And I think that it has really united many of us who are kind of part of this movement to make menopause better and midlife better. Which kind of leads into actually what we want to talk about today, which is this whole thing about aging mm-hmm. and the expectations around aging and the fears. And it's really interesting because you come from an eating disorders background. And, you know, kind and of it, that's you. 
your area of expertise. And I think that there's a really interesting intersection there. I do too. And in fact, there was, I believe it was yesterday or last week, just a few days ago, an article came out about middle age and new onset eating disorders. And so I I Mm -hmm. think that that's an interesting piece of today too. But referring to what you just said, yes, as an eating disorders clinician, there brings in some extra pieces because for me, I'm no different than when I'm in the office, than when I'm out in the store, than when I first started as a clinician, I I had the privilege of studying under Carolyn Costin. And I used to be this like really, you know, straight postured, using all the right words, therapist, the multi-generational transmission of blah, 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 blah. And Carolyn pulled me aside one day and she just said, you know, you've got to be a real person, especially with this population, because they sniff anything fake. Mm -hmm. And why I'm saying that is because as we're talking about aging, I'm about eight months into not having my period and it is glorious. Oh my gosh, I love it. But there is an extra, I believe not, it's never a burden, but there's an extra accountability factor because for me, I, if I'm going to preach something, I'm going to live it. I'm going to do it. If Does that make sense? Like, I'm not saying I have yeah. to experience everything that my clients do, but if it is something that's in my own life experience wheelhouse, I can't be preaching something that I've not tried, lived, or done. And yeah. so that's why the aging piece brings almost an extra thing in when someone's recovered from an eating disorder and they've really fully worked on body acceptance, soul acceptance, the wholeness. Like I never split off the body in the way that I conceptualize a human being, because if you hate it and then you love it, it's still an it. You Mm. are, it's just what zips in your messy innards and your beautiful soul that also has mess. That is beautiful. Thank you. So that's, where I'm kind of going with that is there's an extra piece of it when you really get through the, you know, media literacy and and get to another point of recovery, because I do identify as a recovered clinician. Um, I had my own decades of dieting, eating disorders, the whole spiel. And so I see aging in such a different way. And when people are dyeing their grays because of embarrassment and shame, different different spot if you like dyeing your grays. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it out of fear, I, I have to like kind of even go back and be like, oh gosh, I worked through so much of this to get to this space of lipstick only, no makeup, welcoming grays. My, oh my gosh, this is such a fun story. So I think it's fun. You may not, I don't know. <laughs> I was at my hairdressers, my hairstylist, and she stops and she points and she goes, oh, you've got a little patch of grays. And I go, oh my gosh, really? That is amazing. Where? And she stepped back three steps and she goes, I have never in my entire career had someone respond that way. (laughs) That's amazing. That is amazing. I love it. I've got this copper and dirty blonde and like almost green brown blonde. And then now I've got these cool like silver streaks coming through. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like what is nature going to (laughs) do? Yeah. And, you know, I love the conversations around grace. So I admittedly, you know, dye my hair, but, it, and it's not out of fear or shame. That's because the difference. I've always, 
I have, and anybody who like has known me for a long time knows that like, I really first started dyeing my hair in like high school, maybe probably even junior high, because I like being able to change the color. To me, my hair is an accessory. Yes. And so, you know, I have like variations on a theme depending on the season. And I've said so many times, like now I'm actually getting annoyed at the upkeep, but I'm not ready to commit to one color for the next hopefully 50 years, you know? So it's it's an interesting one for me because I do kind of like wrestle with it a little bit. But at the same time, I know it's not because I'm like, I have no problem going out with roots. Like that doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. Um, You know, it's not shame or anything there, but. So that's, you just nailed the key is that you're not forced by standards or driven by, oh my gosh, I can't age. Like, and, and again, if you have questioned it and you choose very, very different. And I'm not judging either way. I'm just inviting everyone to kind of question what, why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. Because some stuff we just swallow and accept that this is the weight we need to be. This is the hair color we need to have. At this age, you can't blah, blah, blah. Like you just said, your hair keeps changing. Well, for me, I was Marsha Brady straight hair my whole life. And then perimenopause <laughs> gave me two thirds of it curly with one third of it still bone straight. And now the color's changing. It's so fun for me. It's really fun to see what nature is going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a question and you can, you can tell me, you can say no, if you don't want to kind of answer that. But one of the things that I think of when I think of you is that you're a storyteller. The the way that you wrote the book, I think the way that you you relate on social media is you're you're a storyteller. Thank you. And I'm a storyteller. I love listening to stories. I love hearing other people's stories. I love retelling them. And I think that there's so much value in the sharing of stories. It's something that as human beings, it is how we have passed down wisdom, not just facts, but wisdom from one generation to another. And as I'm kind of in this transition, so I'm 15 days away from my one year mark, <gasps> Allie. If I, I have pom-poms in my closet, I would be totally <laughs> waving them. That is, oh, I'm excited for you. I'm four months away from it. So by the time this podcast airs, I will hopefully be across that threshold. But it's interesting though, because I really have felt a shift into that I don't like the word crone for some reason, but just like that, that idea of like the, the wise matriarchal grandmother figure. I don't identify with that obviously fully, but I definitely feel that like transition into the experience of my life, you know, and, you know, kind of starting to think about like what actually matters in terms of what we pass on to the next generation. And when I see, you know, things happening, especially as it relates to body autonomy and how it relates to how we talk about bodies and, and, you know, freedoms and rights, I really feel like it's such an important, it's an important thing for me to still care about. Right. And that, I'm getting to a question. It's coming. Don't worry. No, I'm loving <laughs> so, this. Keep going. But I guess I would love to know your story. So you're a recovered clinician. And you've mm-hmm. mentioned already that you've had your own personal experience with disordered eating and eating disorders. How did you get to this place of being the storyteller 
of telling people stories from recovering from dieting in your book. Because really, that's what I loved about the book. It was these 23 stories of all these different journeys of not just dieting, but body image, and not just women, but really kind of these stories of like, this is what it was like to live through this. This is where I'm at now. And, you know, that's social learning is what it is, right? It's, you know, sharing stories in the hopes of being able that someone else will see themselves in that story and see what it's like to be on the other side. So tell, are you comfortable telling us part of your story? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And and nobody can see it, but I was just making that hand sign of a heart <laughs> because you said social learning. And, um, you know, stop me if this gets too long of an answer regarding the book. When I was in my deepest struggles, the concepts in the book, I really, I, that book has been missing for so many years. And the reason I believe it's missing has been missing is, A, it was really hard to figure out. <laughs> but um, I wanted, I, I am a teacher at heart. I love that you see me as a storyteller. But when I started thinking about this book, I thought of, I'm going to bury education in stories. Because when someone's being taught or preached at, there can be such a resistance as if they're being accused of being wrong or not in the know. Mm. If they're voluntarily reading something that feels inspiring, because for me also, I, I think the mental health field gets it wrong a lot with focusing on the negative for so long, all the struggles, the this, the that, and then they finally turn the corner. But by then, they've, it's so uncomfortable to listen to them almost relive energetically all the pain with that many details that I weed. In fact, I weeded out the pain details so much so that at one time, one of my beta readers was like, what is this book about? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I can't cheer on any of the recovery because there's no pain. So I was like, dang, I got to go back. Actually, you know me, I swear a lot. And I was like, So um, I had to go back and put in just enough pain so that people could cheer for the triumph of what, where that person got in their life. I also, as a clinician, know that we cannot manualize how people find freedom, how people find where they want to be in life, what their idea of health is. And so I thought, if I get lots of people's stories that people can read, It's not that one book that's shaking the finger going, do step one, two, and three, and I guarantee you're going to get better. And then the person feels like they failed after because it didn't work for them. This book is so many options of, wow, that didn't resonate. That's dumb. I don't want to try that. Or, you know, I'm open to that. Let me go look at the research she pointed me to. Because after each of the stories, I follow up with hopefully free research that you can Google and find. Um, Because I just, accessibility was so important in this book. And then at the end of it, when I looked at my, the reason I stopped at 23 stories was because I saw that people were represented and I hadn't even had an intentionality. I really was pursuing a variety of struggles and triumphs. And then I saw actual human beings were actually represented in the stories, backgrounds that were completely different from each other. Yeah. stories that were so very different from each other, spanning from non-clinical to clinical, uh, introducing different bias that 
we may not know we have, and I'm not going to shame anyone for having it. We all have bias, but what a safe way to look at it while you're reading about someone's struggles, who's just a human being like you struggling, who had to go through all this stuff to try to find a spot in life where they felt empowered and not ashamed of themselves, not struggling with self-acceptance. And interestingly, a lot of the stories ended up being middle age. I actually, it was so weird because most people go, oh, well, anything with eating issues, we're going to think adolescents and young, white, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't the case in my book. No. that And that was not, like, it was almost like just energetically the, the I don't even know how to explain it, except that it just came to be human beings their experiences. Everybody did it for free. Some knew it may not even ever get published, but I had, I've had i had such a diverse background that I could remember these little like planted seeds. And I would call people out of the blue and be like, well, we met a few years ago and something you said came to mind and I'm doing this project and I'm wondering, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, some of them even said, you know, I've never talked about this And thank you for helping me kind of work through it, talk through it, and find more closure. Yeah. Oh, I I can only imagine. I can only imagine that just being able to tell their story, how how powerful that is. I want to come back to something that you said, that we can't manualize, you know, our health. And that is, I already know that that's going to be the sound clip for this episode, because one of the things that I say all the time when I'm working with people in any capacity is that regardless of what you do, you have to commit to the process and not the outcome because you're not in control of the outcome. You're only in control of the choices that you make along the way. And they may or may not lead to what you want, right? And I kind of use the example sometimes of like investments, right? You can set up this beautifully laid plan for, you know, investing, starting when you're 18, making all the safe decisions, the right decisions, you know, and yet there are events that will happen before you retire that will really throw that plan, you know, into chaos, you know, likely in some ways. And so, and what I see happening all the time, which I'm sure you do too, but especially when it comes to health and especially women in midlife is people who are selling these like, follow my 10 step plan and just do these things. And then people do it. And then they feel like it, there's something wrong with them when it doesn't work. And that is why every story has multiple things to choose from. Now, interestingly, I've gotten negative feedback. People are mad that I didn't give them an easy to follow step-by-step. Really? Sometimes. Uh, I can can see it. I can see it. Yeah. No, I I want you to find yours. I'm so passionate about that. I'm, you know, even as a therapist, I'm not the, like, I want to ask enough questions where you know that you've become an expert of you eventually, but Mm -hmm. I'm not the one. I get humbled so often by thinking I know what's best for someone in my head and being like, oh, I'm not going to say it because I'm not, you know, even allowed to. And (laughs) And then I think it. And then later on, I'm like, thank God I didn't say anything. They always know in the end what is the fit for their life. And sometimes you make choices. Listen, we all do. We'll make choices and try plans along the way, hoping, and it isn't the right thing for our lives. But how then do we get to 
I have a theory sometimes even with dating that a lot of people start by learning what they don't want that eventually leads them to feel what they do want because they now recognize so much of these feelings and and kind of that energy of, oh, this is not cool. I love that analogy. I think that's such a perfect analogy actually for uh, at least the people that I work with that end up, you know, people who start dieting like I did in my teens um, and really were on that dieting bandwagon until, you know, my mid thirties. What I really started to identify with was what wasn't working anymore, you know? And I, and I'll tell people that, you know, it's not that, that feeling that you have on Monday morning, when you go to open your app and you, you know, you say to yourself, this is going to be the week that I do it perfectly. And it feels so wrong. (laughs) You know, it doesn't feel good that, you know, that's that intuition. It's that experience of saying like, okay, I need to do something different because this doesn't feel good. And by you know, the way, not, guys, I want. not feeling good and dread does not mean you're weak or lack willpower. Yes. It actually might be your body screaming at you because your mind is overriding your body. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And we have to learn to listen, right? So intuitive eating is, is all about learning to listen yeah. and change the response. So you know, and I think that it, midlife is such an interesting time for intuition because I know for me, my kids, are, like I still have kids at home. I have, you know, three teenagers, well, two that'll be teenagers in six weeks, but tweens and a teen for sure. So life is still busy. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, you know, but there is more interest in listening to the intuitive part of me. I don't know if it's ability or if it's interest or what it is, but there definitely is more, I guess, just maybe the environment. I don't know. But I often will, people will say that to me. They'll say, you know, I feel like now that I'm in my forties or now that I'm in my fifties, I'm actually like, I want to listen again. You know, whereas before I just wanted it to cooperate. I wanted it, it to, I wanted my body to listen. I wanted it, it. to do what I wanted it to you do. It yeah. it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, but now it's like, okay, we, you know, we're in this together. <laughs> We've got to do this together. It is a lot. It, when you were saying that, I kept thinking of menopause for me is a lot like adolescence, adolescence all over again, but with a lot more grace, wisdom, and not giving two Fs. That is the best part. Hands <laughs> down, hands <laughs> down, hands down. Let's circle back to aging for a minute, because one of the things that comes up a lot in the conversations that I have is people saying, you know, I've spent 20, 30, 40 years trying to figure this out. And I feel like I'm at this like fork in the road that if I don't figure it out and I cross that threshold into midlife or old age, it's just all going to be downhill, right? There's still this attachment that they have to have a certain body to age well or they have to have a certain look to age well. And there's been some criticism of some fairly high profile people in the media who, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to body shame them for any reason, um, you know, small or larger bodies, but, you know, that kind of representing again, another ideal, a str- another ideal, this one's strong, it's not necessarily just thin, but just kind of representing that there's one way to have a body in midlife, 
right? Or that there's a better way or the best way or the one we should still all be striving for. The part that gets me on this is when I think about that, what I think might be happening for people is underneath, if something is very, very popular, if something is very, very accepted, if something is very, very praised, there's a little bit of an idea or fantasy that there will be a sense of calm and safety if we can attain it. Yes. And I think that might be like with the, it, it also feels like pressure, but when I look at any age of body image stuff and eating disorders, like, you know, some people used to think that eating disorders were about vanity. They're, they're a disorder. It's a psychological with a biological, you know, physical consequences, But there's also, I look at underneath it, what is it serving? And so often I find that people are so resourceful, it may not be, you know, it may harm them, but the drive underneath it might be often, I believe it's for safety. When people say, oh, it's all about control. Why do you need control? Why do you want to look like that person? Why, why, why? Peace, calm, safety. These are kind of my new theories uh, because I've been watching this for so many years and listening, deeply, deeply listening to people's stories and what's going to make someone feel good in the world and safe in the world can be so different. And that loops back to the manualizing of bodies, of health, of, you know, health is presented as these isolated labs and isolated weight. And yet- like I know if I'm not laughing, my health is starting to plummet because I love laughing. I love joking. I love like through pain, there is always a way to get through it through laughter. It's ridiculous. Life is ridiculous. Today, you know, I had a power outage, got dressed in the dark, came and did my hair in my office. Like that's just funny. Last week when my office flooded because of the California rains, and I was digging out water between like clients. It was funny. I mean, I was talking to the water. I was like, you muddy water are hilarious right now. Because <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> oh my goodness. I think you have more grace than I do. I'm not sure that I could be laughing in a moment like that. Oh, I did. I mean, at one point I did like have an F-bomb tantrum and cry, but then I went back to talking to the muddy water. Because what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. So my point, I think my point is, is we're all doing our best. And when we find those examples that are upheld in, in the media, of course, we want that peace, that notoriety, that safety, that uh, idol, um, what is it when somebody idolizes you like, and I don't mean it in a narcissistic way. Yeah, but it's acceptance, right? And if we go back to like, you know, the the lizard part of our brain, acceptance meant survival, right? It meant that, you know, you weren't going to be left to die um, when push came to shove. (laughs) I think you just hit a key that I, I, you couldn't say it better. Acceptance means survival. And so when we continue to fight aging, when we continue to fight our bodies, how we're naturally shaped, how our metabolisms are, when we keep fighting, aren't we kind of fighting our own survival? I know we're fighting or thriving. 
Oh, that's really powerful. That's a, you, a I think a really it. great, but no, I think that that connection is important because it really does affect every part of our ability to, like you said, not just thrive, but actually really, you know, survive in a way that is our own and not based on someone else's way of surviving. Right. And not dreading waking up because you have to do all these things that are not, not meaningfully fulfilling. Yes. Cause that's what we're here to do. Right. We're here to live. Um, yeah, and, and I don't mean happy. Happy's outside the bell curve. So that means you're going to drop below the bell curve if you're shooting for a happy life every day. But I do think <laughs> meaningful and contented are okay. And that would be the title of the book. And I really didn't mean to pun that one. I really honestly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that has like, you know, even for like, you know, holidays and stuff, I've always said meaningful Thanksgiving to you, meaningful, you know, New Year's, because some people have painful holidays, but you can always find meaning. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that. So when it comes to aging and especially for anybody who is aging while also either actively in recovery or, you know, even if you're 20 years recovered from an eating disorder, you know, I I often tell people, I don't know if you share this as well, and I tell them that, you know, I don't ever make the goal for the desire for weight loss to go away. It's for you to recognize when it shows up, to recognize what pushes it through the door, and to give you the tools to be able to change how you respond, right? Um, And so I think that when it comes to aging, what I'm trying to do is to kind of go through that door with grace obviously. Um, but also just with the understanding that like, there are going to be some things that change. They're not my fault there. You know, it's nothing that I did or nothing that I caused. And then if I can respond without, if I can see those situations without shame, if I can see those situations as not a moral failing on my part, um, or not because I didn't have that extra spinach salad or, you know, (laughs) it's much, it's much easier to kind of settle into that new normal. Yeah. So what kind of, you know, what parting advice would you have, you know, with your kind of different hats on for, for someone who might be feeling like they can't cross that threshold and with welcoming arms? Well, first of all, don't add on another should of, I shouldn't be mad about this. Like, gosh, Mm -hmm. you know, we have these thoughts Um, something that helped me a great deal. And I really haven't, I had to get back to the original author, but when I was in my early twenties, um, my OBGYN had these pictures up on the wall of aging in your twenties of a body, your skin, everything aging in your twenties, aging in your thirties, aging in your forties, aging in your fifties, aging in your sixties. Now, interestingly, I went to do a menopause support group and I could not find images anywhere. I actually had to get back to the original author from the nineties to see if I could find these pictures that I believe if I, I could be wrong here, but my gosh, it's about education. If your body is changing wildly and it's kind of like when you're a teen and you don't mean to sprout boobs overnight and you're like, Oh my God, what are these? No, (laughs) Right now, okay, I didn't mean to lose my weight o- waist overnight, but it's gone. I am a geometrical figure. I am a rectangle. I am lines. I am triangles that once were round. Uh-huh. 
That's right, my boobs. <laughs> and but what has helped me, and I cannot believe how often my brain has gone back to those pictures that back in my twenties I looked at and said, "F you, I am never getting there. Uh uh-uh. uh, I am going to defy that. I am not doing that kinky wiry hair. I am not. I mean, like because your ha- like my yeah. gray hair is like a little wire thing. Isn't it wild? It's so funny. I looked at that and I was like, no. I am going to defy you and defeat you. And that's what I mean by you're not surviving if you are fighting nature. I now am like, oh, this is nature. Oh my goodness. I have to return that dress from before COVID because it does not do any (laughs) part of fitting. I'm going to fire my employee. My dress that I hired with its job to fit me is fired. Love that. Love that. Allie, this has been lovely. This, um, I really, I love, I love your spark, I think is the best way to put it and for life and for midlife and for all things related to finding meaning. So I thank you for this conversation. Thank As you. I always ask my guests, what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? Holy moly. I'm kind of blanking on that because the missing ingredient will be so different for everyone. So I would say to everyone listening, whatever other people say, think about what yours is and it can change every morning, every day, every hour, but it gives you an an intention and a direction for the minute you're thinking of it. I love it. That is a fantastic answer. So if people want to learn more about you um, and find out about the book, I'll have the link in my show notes, but where would you like them to find you? Thank you. Well, I am far less interesting than the stuff I want to teach. So I really (laughs) appreciate that. (laughs) Um, They can find at Therapist Alley on Instagram and Twitter. And then um, the book is Meaningful 23 life-changing stories of conquering dieting, weight, and body image issues. I know that's super long, but at the time I was thinking of SEO, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and then honestly, if you Google Ali Spots de Lazar, I'm always doing something, trying to create something. Cause again, the traditional ways that we're educating, like I would love to just teach through storytelling, vary all the yeah. lessons. So no one even knows that they're being offered some stuff that they can take or leave, but it's good info. I love it. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. So thank you so much for spending some time with us on your slightly chaotic morning. It has been a lovely conversation. Thank Thank you, you Allie. Thank you for inviting me and connecting our continents. Yes. (laughs) I didn't mean continents. Like, you know what I meant, our locations. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.